It's time once again for Catalog and Cocktails, your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management presented by Data.World with tasty beverages in hand. Uh, I'm Tim Gasper, longtime customer guy, product guy, data guy at Data.World, joined by Juan Cicada. Hey, Tim, how are you doing? I'm Juan Cicada, the principal scientist at uh, Data.World, and it's always, it's Wednesday, middle of the week, and uh, time to have, uh, we're back talking about data, we're back in our season seven, and Episode 167, I don't know, lost count. I'm yes. super excited. <laughs> uh, and finally, we, we've we been trying to have Samia on our podcast. I met her at DJIQ, finally in person. The cool, th I love it when we have guests who like suggest next guests. Mm -hmm. And I think Aaron Wilkerson suggested you. And we were like, guess what? She's already going to be it. So we have Samia Ramon, who is the uh, the Director of Enterprise Data and Strategy Governance at Seijin, now Pfizer. Samia, how are you doing? I'm good. I uh, just am going to start coming off maternity leave. So that's a uh, new new uh, phase, new season of my life. Uh, someone made a joke that I have a new data product in my life. I don't know if it's data or AI. It does all human-like things. So that that's that's how I'm doing. Congratulations. Well, I, our teletoast is what are you drinking? What are we toasting for? Well, I know what we're toasting for for that. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. So this is for my son. Um, it's a herb tea, uh, fennel uh, or yeah, fennel and fenugreek tea supposed to be great to help feed him and etc. So uh, that's what I, I drink water religiously now and lots of herbal teas for him. So I toast it to him. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well, I'm, yeah. We're just having coffee. Coffee, water. water. Yeah, it's too early here. <laughs> too early we, you know, we, we, we would be great to have today. a cocktail, but <laughs> well, we'll do that later tonight. But uh, yeah, chill. So cheers to your new family member. Cheers to that. Yeah, cheers. So, um, all right, our warm-up question. So, given that the title today is the data master class, let's talk about master classes. I mean, mm -hmm. have you guys any like have you taken any master class, or if you haven't, like which class would you like to take, or if it doesn't exist, which you which one would you yeah. want to take? Samia, have you taken any master classes? Uh, so I, there's a website or a platform called masterclass.com, I believe, mm -hmm. right? I got the subscription a couple of years ago. Um, and they have uh, comedy is my uh, thing or used to be a, a big hobby of mine. So I used to t I took a class, the master class with um, uh, Steve Martin, um, and that was fun. It, I didn't obviously get to interact with him, but I learned a lot. Um, and then there were lots of cooking classes and so on. So from the personal hobby side, that master class was awesome. From the tech world, I don't know if if I've taken any master classes, I like to learn through experience and through workshops with people, right? I don't think those folks ever call it as a master class because there's no mastering of the craft. It's always just being refi uh, refined, at least in our space, right? Data and tech. Um, so DDD Europe has some great domain-driven design classes um, mm -hmm. and hard. Um, there's a great workshop uh, on the hard bits of architecture. So I'm hoping I can take that some, at some point. It's been on my bucket list uh, just to uh, refresh and, you know, rethink about architecture in the scalable future that's ahead of us. That's how, awesome. How about you? Uh, so I also signed up for Masterclass, I think, two years ago. And I think I accidentally renewed it because I think it's like on an auto renew. Yeah, it's like, okay, whatever. It, it's actually pretty cool classes. Um, so. Uh, I don't know who knows this about me, but I actually really like electronic music. Uh, and so I took a master class on uh, from Armin van Buren oh, going wow. through how to create electronic music. So I found that to be very cool. <laughs> so I am not on master class, but I've been wanting to get it. And I've been wanting to do the one with Steve Martin and comedy because oh. I love, I, I, for me, when it comes to comedy and like presentations and giving talks, I am, it's just, these two things go very nicely mm -hmm. connected. And I am a huge Jerry Seinfeld and, Kurt and and Larry David fan. I just love how they tell their stories. So yeah, I want to do the, the comedy one but we want to do some cooking ones too so uh so yeah i think we're we're, we're very much aligned on that yeah. yeah and this is a free ad for uh, masterclass.com we uh <laughs> we have no sponsorship relationship with yeah, no sponsorship <laughs> and I, okay going back to the tech one uh one of the first uh kind of pandemics that i did i took uh shamakti ghani's uh, class at ddd so that was Ooh, nice. early yeah. on so that's how uh i i really really appreciated having the opportunity to do that so mm -hmm. All right, well, well, that's a great segue into data mesh. Yes, huh? All right, well, okay, so we're going to talk about data mesh, knowledge graphs, AI, all these stuff. But all right, let's kick it off. Honest, no BS, 
We've been into a couple of years now with data mesh as a trend. Uh, Sanjeev Mohan and uh, his in, in his kind of his predictions and stuff put actually data mesh in kind of a declining. It's going to die stuff. And you saw a bunch of people say, no, it's true. or no, Data products. Are, OK, honest, no BS. Where are we? What have we learned? Where are we going? Uh, is it dead? OK. You go. Uh so it's been four years. I actually uh, had the privilege of uh, one having the mentorship uh, of Jamak and also working with her when Data Mesh was first published back in May 2019. So it's been four years. I was just doing the math today. I was like, whoa, it's been four years. Um, to me, the Data Mesh principles are not going to go away. It has reinforced in the data community that you have to the principles are also not nothing brand new. They've been applied in software and even great AI solutions. Any product has been applying those solutions, right? Uh, so to me, the principles are not going to go away. It's going to get just reapplied and reinforced over and over. And we're just going to get better and better at it. Now, you don't need to. I, I, I spoke to Ole Olson. I think he was on your podcast if, uh, a few months ago. Um, you don't need to sell data mesh. It, just do it. You will see the ROI with good, trustworthy data, hopefully uh, enabling your AI solutions that help progress your business, right? With innovation, with solving uh, actual problems. It's all about the business value. So to me, it, people are doing it without realizing it is one of my observations over the last four years. And then people who have intentionally done that uh, are seeing the value, especially in complex spaces, right? So biotech is where I've been at in the last three, four years. I also did healthcare. Those spaces are great. Um, NCIH and all these other public spaces are adopting the data mesh principles because they just it, it makes sense for them. Their domain is just way too complex. Modeling like a baby's data growth charts and all these things, very, very difficult. The Epic software that's out there, it has the data model and it's a, it has data products underneath it that allow for someone to raise a baby, right? So to me, it's just happening. We, we're just defining and reinforcing those things. I, for, for what I'm taking away from what you just said is like, you know what, just stop saying the word data, but just freaking do it. You're probably already doing it. I think if you're just spending too much time, so probably this is a shot. I mean, all the pundits and the talkers everywhere on LinkedIn, like, you know, what? just shut up, just go do it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you mentioned a couple of like different industries and, you know, different cases in which you've seen data mesh implemented. Are there any uh, you know, success stories that you can talk about or like, what was that journey to implementing data mesh? Like, why did they do it? And, and, and then, you know, what, what, how, how did they go about it? And what was the value and, provided? And, and to add to that, like, mm -hmm. I think what we're seeing kind of an everybody talking about the last couple of weeks and then the whole linked data data world is that, Oh yeah, it's dying. But like, no, there's been all these success stories that we just don't talk about them. And right. I mean, it was like Scott Erlman is like, Oh, there's all this stuff. Like this, give us, this is the opportunity. Can you please share, yeah. uh, share what, yeah, so I, I will stick to the bio IT space, but I think there have been great things on the data mesh community from the banking industry. Uh, but I, I went to the bio IT conference last year uh, and Roche and other companies presented. I think Omar Khawaja, he has talked about how he's applied data mesh with lots of success. Right. It's um, uh, and when you see the work that they present at uh, the bio IT conference, those people are not talking about data mesh. They're talking about the actual biomarker data, the, the all the complicated clinical trial design data and how they're creating interoperable um, feedback loops back into research, right? So you serve patients and then from that, all the real world evidence that emerges, people are leveraging it in the next drug that they're going to either optimize or develop. So to me, Pharma has seen a lot of value. There are other companies, um, I, I, I'm drawing a blank, but they're applying the principles uh, consistently, right? It's it's become a no-brainer of you must do data mesh in pharma because of that complexity. The value chain from um, the molecule to market is what it is, is 
research has a lot of unstructured creative data, this is where knowledge graphs and LLMs are super useful. Then you have a little more structured clinical trial data, then you go downstream to manufacturing. Again, lots of structured real-time data emerging, right? And then further downstream, there's a lot of compliance. So data integrity, trustworthiness, and accuracy becomes important. To me, all those things, people didn't, don't realize it, but the verticals within a biotech organization have been doing um, data intensive curation and delivering insights in the way they operate. They have to submit the FDA reports. They have to prove no bias in the way they develop drugs and sell drugs. So to me, the principles, because of that matrixed and very com complex space, it was happening, but now data mesh is just optimizing that space even further. Uh, so that would be um, my spiel on like, or my use top use cases where I've seen consistent success. And you go to these conferences, you, if you've done any data work, you'll start seeing, oh, they're applying product management. Oh, they have a business value. They have the culture because the domain SME or the domain lead, the, uh, there's a bioinformatician, um, they're dealing with data in and out. The Let's say the, uh, the biomarker uh, director or um, the research um, uh, bioinformatics director, he's probably, he or she, or they are probably going to be your domain lead who's curating that data. There's genomics data. There's so much data out there from external and internal that they're having to harmonize. And now data mesh, the principles are accelerating them in the way they operate, right? So um, their working groups become the governance committees, they're standardizing their data and actually activating real um, value out of it. So, you know, the, the going back to my previous comment of like, hey, if you're just not, uh, if you're talking about data mesh, or just go do it. I mean, what you were saying, frankly, the folks who are just talking about data mesh or, or complaining or, or, or going into the details and stuff, is that an indicator that they're like really disconnected from how the business and the folks who are not, or just, I mean, they're doing it. They're actually just, they're part of the business meaning like they're, they're doing the biomarkers, right? They're doing like the, they're assigned the regulations. I mean, that's, I think, how do you, how you figure out where is the noise from actually people doing stuff? And, and, and we have, right. we got to call, we got, we got to be honest and no BS and call out where like people are like too much, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of my early implementations, we were very disconnected from the business and that I would say was a big learning that, and we know this from any digital transformation initiative as well. If you're disconnected from the business, and you just say, hey, I'm going to go execute a digital platform. It's going to give you all these uh, value. Usually it doesn't, it's it's usually a failure because you are so disconnected from the business. Um, that collaboration is super key. The partnership is super key. I don't think like a lot of the problems I've seen is um, IT trying to drive data mesh execution or any data uh, transformation or digital transformation, um, they forget to uh, partner with the business. That partnership is key without that. And that's where the socio-technical of data mesh is, right? People often couch it as a technology. Nope. Anyone who associates it with tech, it's like, no, you have it wrong. You got, yeah. you have to work with the domain SMEs. You have to work with the business and don't even bring up data mesh. Just understand the business problem. Do your product guy, right, Tim? Uh, continuous discovery and then identify the opportunities. Hey, if we invest in these data products in the value stream and build these optimization solutions or throw in a chat agent that will allow for a researcher to quickly learn about the historic development of drugs. Those are great things, right? Um, those are accelerators. They're going to be time savers for those knowledge workers. So to me, um, business is a must have. You cannot do any work without the business. No, I think I think that is such a, an important point. I'm really glad that you're emphasizing it. Um, and, you know, if I look back at some of the episodes that we've done on the show and some of the different guests and some of the different examples, I'm, I'm definitely seeing a bit of a trend, which is that we've got sort of more of the tech first companies 
And they tend to have their data much more affected by, owned by, and managed by the tech teams, oftentimes even the engineering teams, because it's coming from software and things yep. like that. Um, and their vision of data mesh tends to be a little bit more technical. And that, and they're also gravitating towards more technical implementations of data contracts and things like that. It seems to be like one kind of body of you know data mm -hmm. mesh adoption. And then we've got sort of the, the everybody else bucket, which, you know, other industries that are not so tech centric, where um, it seems like in that second model, which I think is more companies in general, where data mesh ends up having to rely very heavily on much more the domain experts distributing the responsibility, the role of data mesh there much more is a balanced blend of socioeconomic, socio-technical. Um, so uh, that's at least a hypothesis I'll put out there. I'm curious if uh, if Samia and uh, and Juan you agree with that or disagree. Well, I, I think like even going back to our one of the previous mm -hmm. uh, uh, episodes we had with Andrew Jones on data uh, data contracts, mm -hmm. right? One of the things that came out of that is like it's contracts will coming from the software developers, and you want to shift left, and it's like all, all exclusively from the tech teams, right? Uh, and, and then the issues come up as like, well, I don't, I'm not actually generating the data myself, I'm bringing it from somebody else. And that's why, well, is it really contracts or tests and stuff? But this is like, but that's that technical conversation. Mm -hmm. While you can't have that same conversation with folks who are like on the other side. So I, I, I do agree with that, mm -hmm. uh, with that distinction. Yeah. How about you, Sam? Um, yeah, so I've seen this pattern. I think people who are, who start out uh, a startup that's eventually grown, they're very tech heavy. Um, their domain might also be very simple. So it's already codified in their API. So the software team has been building that intrinsic knowledge about the domain from day one. Whereas you go into healthcare or pharma, they're 30, 40, 100 year old companies, right? The domain knowledge is distributed across the business. And for me to learn about how research does drug development, I need to go get a PhD then, or like go get a bachelor's again, right? I did electrical engineering. No, wait, I don't remember my chemistry at all. Um, so to me, it's um, it depends on the domain. It does domain and also at what point the company started, right? Where does that intrinsic knowledge lie? Um, the other thing I think um, it, it's easy to start from the platform because we get tech. We know how to do APIs. We know how to do uh, contract testing. We've done it all. So to me, the technology or the platform, most teams will start there because they understand it well. They can implement it well. Um, but to me, the data product managers or your product managers, those are the key people who really need to partner with the business, build that domain knowledge, and then start executing it on the platform. To me, technology has been solved. It was there even before data mesh. You could have put up storage solution, compute. What else do I need? A catalog? Great. I have something that can allow me to do things. But intentionality with product management thinking and business discovery is so, so key there, right? So to me, yeah. agree with you, but also I would encourage people to really identify where they are in that spectrum of where does their intrin the domain knowledge exist? Because your your team makeup will be very different. Yeah, that's a, a really great point. Um, and one thing that you've mentioned uh, a few times now is around data as a product, data products, uh, data product managers. I know that um, as you know, data mesh has been around as some concepts now, I, I think that of, of the four different tenets, right? Uh, the one that a lot of people seem to really gravitate towards, it really resonates a lot. I know me being you know, from a product background, it resonates a lot with me because I love the analogy of sort of software product development and how that can extend to data in various yeah. ways, but also different in certain ways. Um, you know, do, do, what, what is your take on data product management, data product managers, and the role that that needs to play and its, and its importance? Yeah, so I think it's, in my reflection, I've, I've been in, uh, or in a use case, um, there was heavy data steward, stewardship. They would look at, um, uh, they had these really long healthcare um, descriptions of these, the, these are the business glossary terms, this is where the data is, but it was never up to date. And it was over 20 years, people had, or the data stewards had curated it, um, and no product management uh, discipline was applied to it. I think that role of a data steward is now being um, embedded into the role of a data product manager. So product managers bring that 
obsessive, I would say they should be obsessive about the business problem, right? With the domain experts, your executive sponsors in a given business domain, um, they're helping discover, put the roadmap together using techniques like Wardley mapping and um, your um, the, the various, I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now, but there's so many great techniques, right? Value stream mapping, et cetera, the user experience mapping um, to really identify those data products. So the data product manager is not only discovering, they're also playing a role of change management there, right? Them and the team, it's not just them. Um, the change management is happening organically with applying product management, which is people are starting to uh, come uh, converge on, hey, this is the value. And yes, we agree that this is these are the first three data products we should invest in so that we can answer these three business questions or we can answer these three scientific questions, right? So to me, that role has become super, super important. And it's not just about putting the glossary and granting access to people the granting of access should actually lie with the true domain SME, the domain lead who's sitting in the business, because they have ultimate uh, legal responsibilities actually on who can and who cannot, because they would know, yes, this is private data or not. But the data product manager is playing the facilitator, the executor, and bringing all the parties together to make that happen. And I, I, I would also... Um, Another thing I, I tweaked last year is it's not just being a data product manager, it's a data and AI product manager. The two mm -hmm. have to be thought in, because uh, you're thinking about the business as a whole, right? Or when you're doing that discovery, you're not only looking at the opportunity with data, but you're looking at the opportunities of, hey, this AI solution could really accelerate this business problem along with these data products. Um, so yeah, that that's that's my evolved reflection over last year on like how key that role is. Yeah, that's a good point on AI products as well. And I think in general, at least I, you know, I see this across our customer base as well as across the market that folks are tending to kind of say data product managers. That's kind of the go-to phrase. But more and more folks mean like, well, data or, you know, or analytic products, you know, could be a model, it could be a dashboard or a report, uh, uh, AI products, right? If I create a custom agent that is focused on answering certain kind of types of questions or analysis for my organization, right? That also has to be treated like a product. It also has to be focused on business value. It also has to fall against the other priorities. And, uh, and, and a lot of times maybe it's similar teams and resources that are having to yep. focus on data and analytics and AI. So, I mean, something mm -hmm. I'm just, What's going through my head right now is let's just stop give let's stop the data just it's just product management right so right. think about it like you you we we bring in i mean I, I think the reason why we call it data product management or beta product manager is because oh uh well there's a soft there's product management is for software and if you're a tech company software company you want to distinguish that but many but, but a lot of companies are like no we're we're not developing software technology, right? We're just, we're, we're a pharma company, we're a financial company, right? And, and 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 what you want to go do is that there's data, there's a bunch of stuff, not just data, we're now doing AI, we're doing all these, I mean, dashboards and analytics, all this type of stuff, like all, all that stuff that people go use to make their decisions and go run the business, you just need to have a product mindset around that. And that's how, I mean, why do we have, thousands and thousands of dashboards like we should know shouldn't exist yeah. yeah well guess why you have thousands of thousands of dashboards because you don't have a product management mindset around that stuff and some right. needs to take some ownership accountability around that so i think i, I think you've convinced me starting today is like my new thing is like it's not just data product management it's just product management in general agreed it to me a, it should be a domain product manager right so in a given, okay. if you're splitting up your domain driven design, then I have a domain a domain product manager who looks at the portfolio of applications, hardware, um, external partnerships, all of that to make and solve a business problem. It, it's there, it, I, mean, I don't wanna reinvent new roles or anything, but that, that role is split into multiple people, right? That business department or vertical is being led by someone. They are a product manager. They are applying, hey, these are the value, these are the 
profit and loss things we need to look at in, in this in this vertical. And this is what I need to share with another part of the organization to launch that next drug or launch that next consumer good, right? So to me, product management is a mindset. Fully agree with you, Juan. Everyone should be applying it. It should be the bread and butter of everyone's role. So th this is a good segue into like jobs and roles and kind of AI today, right? I mean, that's something you wanted to chat about. Like, how are you seeing the evolution of, of jobs? I mean, one from product, like product management is one of those, but AI is coming to the mix here. And how is that changing things all the way from just like traditional, like the data governance work, right? Data stewards. And now we have data product managers. And now we're bringing in these LLMs and we're doing prompt engineering. Right? Like, how are you seeing that? And how is this, yeah, what's going through your brain? Yeah, so there are two two things, and they're both interrelated. One is to be more of an effective, let's say, data strategist or data product manager or the AI product manager. I can use generative AI or your, your chat GPT or GPT solutions to help me even define business problems, do business discovery, put together my data dictionaries quickly. I was able to ask ChatGPT, hey, give me a data model for a healthcare professional. Spat out all the time. And it was pretty correct. I had the knowledge, like, so uh, you know, read through it. I checked it and I was like, okay, I approve it. Um, and I can use this. I can publish this as part of my data product. So I think there's that one optimization loop of like, helping yourself with AI uh, to do your work better and faster. Um, the other aspect is um, the, the domain leads that I talked about, the bioinformaticians or the domain SMEs, they are going to, as part of their responsibility, become natural prompt engineers because they're always asking the right questions in their specific domain. Uh, so from an AI perspective, everyone's role will have this again, have the product mindset, but also have how can I leverage AI mindset in the work that I do or in the research that I do? Um, I think that's going to be, um, a, a, or I already see it, that teams are starting to do that, right? And that's going to start driving value. This, this last point is something mm. I'm having a, a little aha moment here. Said the SMEs will be the natural prompt engineers because they're the ones asking the right questions. And I'm already imagining a world where we have the titles and the roles of the prompt engineers and you get trained and you took all these stuff, but then you're disconnected from the business. You're disconnected from the the, the domain. And, you, and then you then you go back and fall into all the technical stuff. And then we go back to the same stuff. Like you're at you. So we're wasting our time and you're doing all these things. And then we're going to come up with other tools that will help us go manage our prompts. So you're like, you should let the let the domain right even train them and yeah. let, get let them be the access. So I mean, yeah. this is an important important call out right there. Yeah, and I think it should be treated as a discipline, right? Because then it's something people can learn and apply. Because I can learn how to do prompt engineering. I can someone or, or if there's a committee or a center of excellence, what some people call it, or a community within an organization, people come up with templates of, hey, this is how you can do XYZ activities with these prompts. So the domain SMEs can go and learn from that community or even develop their own templates from it. Um, so to me, it's a discipline that starts getting embedded. And that, that to me is, again, that shift left mindset, right? Take at the point of creation or innovation, that's where you want to embed data governance. You want to embed security. You want to embed privacy thinking. Um, you want to embed the AI thinking there as well. Mm. Um, so I, I want to plug in here, I'm trying to find a nice pithy way of connecting it, but I don't know. So I'm just going to throw it out. Okay, where do knowledge graphs fit into all of this that we've been talking about? Yeah, um, so this was, um, I'm trying to remember when this Knowledge Graph conference happened. Jamak actually presented at it. Um, it's one of the big Knowledge Graph conferences out there. Um, Paco yeah. Nathan, I believe, hosts it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, the one in, in New York City. The, uh, yes. Yeah, so she, yeah she, was, she was there, and I actually hosted the, the panel 
it's a, which is a podcast episode on, on Catalan cocktails. So oh, okay. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, so to me, I, and her message was there, when you implement data products, right. With, uh, there are key characteristics that are called about, uh, for data products. One, it has to be, uh, understandable. It has to be trustworthy and interoperable. So linkability is the, uh, the knowledge graphs look to create links between different data sources, right? So to me, when you have valuable, well-defined or, you know, well-curated data products, then you're starting to build your knowledge graph as the next layer. And it could be, so it be a data product becomes a node and it itself can represent its information and serve it out on a output port in the format of your knowledge graph database, right? Whatever your output could be a data warehouse. I know you guys published that paper on like, hey, I can use LLMs to um, to generate text to SQL to query actual structured databases. So to me, data products can now start serving their data in the right formats so that you can leverage your large language models to query it. There's another aspect where I see Data products also allow the de development of your domain-specific language uh, models, right? So we talked about these domain SMEs because they are curating and building, um, not like implementing the engineering bits, but putting definition and putting the business value on these data products. The, the domain-specific language model is also starting to emerge as you build it, right? You're starting to capture what does molecule mean? What does uh, what does biomarker mean? What is um, what is the role of a bioinformatician? What is genomics? Right, all those kind of vocabulary and the linkage is now being captured as part of those data products and registered, hopefully, in your data graph and your larger uh, knowledge graph. Right, so you're creating tenants in these various spaces for your data products so that you can start interoperating. And that's where now with uh, your domain specific LLMs, you can register a chat or develop a chat agent that now allows you to query at one data product or multiple data products across that knowledge graph, right? Um, I know I'm doing a terrible articulation. It's very, well-defined in my head, but to me, it's all layered. Like every data product has a layer of ontology with it. There's an LLM, there's an extension of a chat agent. So I'm a researcher, go to a catalog, I find the data product, there's a chat agent, I can ask it questions, right? Those are some of the things oh, I would imagine. This is cool. I, I, so I kind of hear you uh, pushing two motivations here, two things here. Like one of them is that the data products, and you mentioned about data product management and things like that, right? End up being a driver of where there's going to be value and focus and attention. Uh, and then also it ends up being the right lens by which to develop the sort of domain specific language. Uh, because it, you know, in order to have an effective data product, it has to be understandable and discoverable and useful and all these different things, right? Which requires you to have that semantics around it. And, you know, the AI is a whole nother piece on top of this. Um, can, can you talk, you know, a little bit more about like when you say domain specific language, I think you started to talk about some of these different pieces and like in my, in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, it sounds kind of like, you know, glossary, ontologies, taxonomies, relationships, like all these are kind of part of the DSL. But can you talk a little bit more about like what you mean by like a domain specific language and why it's, and why it's important? Yeah. So it, it's all of those things you mentioned, Tim, right? But to me, it's, um, so the large language model that's out there, it's on all the text that's out there. It's not very specific on, let's say, the healthcare domain or the biotech domain. To me, it's training and developing your own LLMs in the context of your domain with all the data sources and the relationships you've curated, right? So again, it's a duality in 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 the sense that you can use large language models to help you build your domain-specific language model, right? And th that's where I think uh, the RAGS or the retrieval augmented generation uh, is super useful because now you have your general LLMs and then you have your domain specific LLMs that combined together allow you to have those very domain specific GPTs that 
accelerate the user experience for a researcher and so on. So the architecture pattern is very consistent, I think, right? It's, it's you just have to put in those data products. Um, you have to put in your domain specific uh, language model that's built based on those data products and it's interconnected because it feeds back into your system um, to help answer your uh, chatbot questions and so on. So, so, so a couple things. One is from the way I see this, I'm curious if, if, we, if we agree or not is, you have your general LLMs and then you want to be able to go take your internal context of your organization. So you basically will build out the knowledge graph and there's different layers of building this out through data products and so forth. But yeah. that is what's going to be, once you create that, which is accurate and it can be explainable, all these things, that's what you're going to go use to go train or create that, that domain specific LLM. So you're, you're shaking your head. We're, we're in agreement there. E yes, so and it doesn't have to be sequential. I think it's a it's an ecosystem. It's a holistic system that you need to think about as a whole. So to me, the unit of architecture has now expanded uh, for a given. It, it, in data mesh, we talk about a data product as a unit of architecture, right? But I think now it's being expanded to hey, this domain unit of architecture where the knowledge is captured. You, you need to have this ecosystem of data products. You need to, you and build the training of LLMs. I don't think we should, I, I mean, there's always a sequential nature to the development, but I would encourage to think of getting your first MVP out there with the holistic in mind, because then you get the, the yeah, you want feedback loop. The and then, yeah, yeah, you're building everything uh, in thin slices across the stack then. You talk about iron threads all, all a lot, and I always I think about that. Yeah, so holistic I mean, again, approach, right? So, so yeah. going back to you were talking about what are the like a layered approach, and and um, so let me kind of repeat it in my words and how I'm thinking about things. I'm just curious to hear, to hear what you think. I, I separate the graphs when it comes to two's perspective. I call it like the the metadata technical graph, and then. Uh, a, a domain graph and metadata technical graph would be one kind of what, what you said before is like you have the data products they need to be linked the data product itself is a node so this is more about a at a high level metadata the, the metadata right so there, here's this thing called a data product so much stuff in here but i'm just going to kind of at, at a high level describe it this data product is related to this one and so forth like that's that technical metadata graph that i would go first and and you want to be able to go search on it find it share it all those things and then so that goes all the way up to like the, the chatbots that you want to have on top of that technical metadata graph. And then the next layer kind of deeper is you go now into the domain knowledge graph where I'm not not my my node isn't the data product. My node is actually the patient. The node is the biomarker. The node is like the very specific things that I'm so the on the ontology here around it is more about the, your particular domain. While in the, in the previous example, the, the ontology is more about the metadata, the kind of the the, the things yeah. that we described. Uh, is, is that that's how I that's yeah. how I've always been separating things. I'm curious to know. Does this yeah, resonate I, with you? I think of it that way as well. And there's a link, right? A data product can register itself and link itself to the right ontology. So it's also not just technical metadata. A data product has to also describe its business metadata right so to me um it is a part um so the layers the layers itself are connected to each other right um and it's always not like it's not square boxes that are connected it's like multiple data products belong to this ontology and definitions of um terminology the domain terminology right and you can register or link the right data products to it um, so to me, yes, to what you said, but it's also that linkability um, uh, between the layers. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, going back, no, I think we're very much aligned. I think what we, what we need next, like get on a whiteboard and go draw this out. Yes. Yeah, I think I, I, we're very much aligned on this. I, yeah. I, I strongly believe we are. I, going back a little bit to the jobs and roles, uh, we're talking now about ontologies and stuff. I mean, that that's my kind of where I come from. And, and, and a long, I mean, not even a long time ago, we would say the word, uh, don't say the O word, ontology, like that's a bad thing. It was, and I think now we're starting to hear it more and more. Where do ontologists and taxonomists come into play right now with all these different types of jobs and roles? Um, that That's a... Or do they? Or is it just, yeah. Or is it, I don't know. 
Yeah, so to me, ontology is, again, like a discipline or a practice, right? So ontologists can become facilitators uh, that help your domain SMEs capture that knowledge into the ontology. But will they have the ability to go generate this ontology without the partnership of those domain SMEs? It's a recipe for failure, in my opinion, because a generalist will never succeed without that partnership um with the true domain experts right so to me it's more about enabling folks to build the ontology incrementally in their specific spaces um and then again thinking of that unit of architectures i think our unit of architecture is slightly expanding now where hey i need to think about not only publishing the simplest thing i can do is a data dictionary but i also need to think about how does it link to the bigger domain ontology that we've been curating as a data community the domain community um and linking it as part of the practice of building anything that they build mm, uh, that's interesting so it, it sounds like you're saying that um you know earlier you mentioned uh, user journey mapping right that like you know ontology development and, and taxonomy development you're thinking of it less of as a, as a role and more of a it's a it's a discipline it's a practice it's a tool that we're going to leverage that um that is important yeah and it's built into your product life cycle development process right so before you go to production you can enforce or establish a standard um gate for release of your product, hey, must register to, or must be uh, published on the ontology map uh, so that it can be used for XYZ purposes, right? So you can start introducing those into your um, product development lifecycle. So so um, what would you tell, so I'm, I'm obviously biased here because knowledge graphs and semantics and ontology is like my life's dedication, so. For you, what, what would you tell people? Like, who who are the types of organizations and people who should be starting to focus on knowledge graphs? Like, is it for everybody? Like, I mean, like we talk about data mesh, right? Oh, data mesh is not for everybody. Yeah. Like, where do like how, how would you who would you knowledge graphs? Like, who should be paying attention to? It? Who should be doing it? Like, who's missing out if they're not doing it and so forth? Yeah, I that's a very good question. I haven't put a lot of thought to it, but I think in general with the generative. Uh, uh, AI space, especially with uh, text, uh, it's for all, in my opinion, any like a company that does marketing for consumer goods, they can benefit from it. And they will need, um, if they invest in a trustworthy knowledge graph, um, then that will give them more accurate marketing outputs and more tailored uh, things, right? And they already do that. A lot of these companies invest into uh, customer master data, data management uh, uh, platforms or curating that customer data. Um, so to me, any company, especially larger companies, right? If I'm a small company, I don't think I would invest in a knowledge graph, uh, but I definitely would use the gen generic LLM to get my creative content out there and so on. But yeah, I think most enterprises will benefit from um, even a small scale of, again, capturing that knowledge and capturing it in the form of graphs so that they can have more trustworthy um, decisions and content being generated. Wow. Um, I'm curious on well, your I, thoughts, Juan. <laughs> well, no, so I, I, I would say that uh, the the, agree with that like if you're smaller i mean you have you have very focused when you go do and and i think one i just remind people no you, you bring in knowledge graphs when you want to really integrate distributed data and come from if you're just focused on this one application my, my argument for knowledge graph, if you have a known problem a known use case and you're just focused on the what's immediately don't do that just build your application mm -hmm. be done with it mm -hmm. but if you're focus on the known use cases of today and unknown use cases of tomorrow and you're interested in how to figure out to scale you want to go invest in this otherwise you're just gonna that's how we end up in silos so that, that's, yeah. my, that's my definition yeah no and i think the only thoughts i'll pepper on top is you know i i really i really think that because of what's happening with ai we're gonna see interest in knowledge graphs become even greater than ever, especially because of the importance of what you mentioned, right? And of it uh, being import, an important 
uh, way to represent and to incorporate some of the domain specific language and other types of things that we know are going to be necessary to make AI useful for our organizations, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's going to, and you know, if, and my second and last thought is that it seems like over the years, and I'm curious, you know, Juan, if you would nod to this or shake your head to this, that knowledge graphs have been a relatively complicated endeavor. Right. And therefore, it's tended to lean towards the larger companies that have organizations that want to create labs teams and stuff like that, want to work on it, et cetera, or specific use cases that are tailored to it. But as knowledge graphs are becoming easier and easier to manage and create and maybe become embedded in things, then it's becoming a lot easier to, for it to be more widely adopted. I also think with with, with uh, LLMs. They're going to help create it, especially like in this whole the product management, like the the knowledge acquisition, like like we'll be able to create these chatbots that will help us acquire that knowledge. Exactly. And then people's like, well, there's different ways of saying this. Well, guess what? I want each of you get on your little chat and go ch chat with for Tell three to four minutes so we can all get the different versions mm -hmm. of this and we'll start. So I think that's yeah, how we're yeah. going to start. Agree. Uh, wow, so much and time flies. And and now what I really want to go do next, which we can't do, we'll have to figure out is like get on a whiteboard and start drawing all these stuff. So we probably need to go do a, 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 the next evolution of the podcast is like a live show with yeah. whiteboards. And Maybe a masterclass in front of the whiteboard. <laughs> yes. we'll, 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 we'll learn that balance of no BS and start BSing because we're figuring shit out as we go. So. Hey, don't take away my time. Masterclass <laughs> presentation style, not a masterclass per se. <laughs> Lowercase down. <laughs> anyway. All right, let's hit our let's hit our, our, our lightning round. So I'll, I'll kick it off. So, uh, first question: AI is taking the word by storm. Uh, do you think in a couple of years from now we'll be talking about? By the way, I did not write this question. Tim wrote this question. So uh, about AI mesh instead of data mesh. Whatever uh, that's supposed to mean, Tim. <laughs> maybe. You can take sure, I don't believe in buzzwords. <laughs> What's the value in it? So the answer is yes. The answer is yes. It will be a it will, it will become a buzzword, and we don't know what it is. But yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> all right. So for all of those predicting the AI mesh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts. All right. Second question: As a governance leader, right, which which you are, um, if you had to choose only implementing domain product managers or domain stewards, like you could only choose one, which one would you choose? product managers, they yeah. can bring a lot of value with that product discipline. And the stewardship can be distributed um, across the domain SMEs, the data engineer, the data analyst who's using the data and the data product managers helping capture those things within the releases of those data products. So yeah, I would always go with product managers because they are ultimately you know, making sure that the product is usable and it becomes part of your responsibility. It's it's something I would at least hold them accountable for, right? Where is the value, and yeah. where is the where is the data product uh, glossary and the uh, you know the ontology associated with it? You can start you holding. Can't ignore all that yeah. that work that needs to happen. Right. No, that makes sense. I love that you're so forward, uh, forward thinking and, uh, and and pursuing around, you know, data product managers, because I think there are a lot of people out there who would answer that question. Well, like, well, of course, I got to have data stewards like I have. I got to have data stewards and then data product managers on top. You know, that's that's a useful additional thing. But I think you're very like, hey, like if we do data product management well, then like why? Like, why are we focusing so much on the, the traditional stewardship? Approach? Yeah, the stewardship is part of the product management. It's, to, it's to embedded. Sure it, yeah. Embedded. Mm -hmm. All right. Next question. Uh, you are you're leading a data strategy and governance. Is this the home for AI strategy as well? That's a great question. I think it's it's there are two parts to it. It's too much for at least you know one team to take on responsibility. So there needs to be a cross functional team that brings data and AI together. Because when you think about like I, I've had to think about privacy a lot. Uh, when it comes to mm -hmm. patient data or um, um, healthcare provider data. Uh, to me, there's a partnership with the legal team. There is a partnership with the AI specialists who are going to say, hey, is this ethical? Um, I, I myself and anyone who I am partnering with to make any solution happen, we have to think as a collective around 
what are um, the implications of that AI solution and what are the compliance implications or compliance things we need to account for. And we have to think about the whole. So again, I would go back to that unit of architecture is now expanding. It's not just about the data, it's the data, the AI solution as a whole, just like we do with any software application that's going out there, right? We think about all those things uh, together. Um, now, depending on your complexity and the business, your team size, et cetera, you can have different team topologies, but they should always be in, working in partnership. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, all right. Last uh, lightning round question is, um, is it a good thing that the hype around data mesh is fading? The hype, um, I guess so. Um, I, I'm assuming people are adopting it, applying it. And it's like I said at the beginning, it should be just do it, right? <laughs> Coding Nike over here. Uh, but just do it. Um, I, I think the hype around it, yeah, is fading because people are already doing it or it's just become inherent part of like, hey, when we go apply or implement this digital transformation for this organization, we are going to apply the principles of data mesh to drive out yeah. uh, things at scale. No, I, I, I love that. So I think that maybe uh, the response from you to some of the naysayers around data mesh would be like, we've gone very quickly from like, this is new and interesting to like, wait a second. No, this is obvious. Like this is the way that we should be doing things. So it's become like, yeah, duh, very quickly. And, yeah. uh, and hopefully folks are implementing it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wow. All right. Takeaway time, Tim. Kick let's, us off. Let's do it. This was an amazing session. So many great takeaways today. Um, so we started off with some honest no BS around like, okay, uh, you know, data mesh has been here as a, a sort of a trend, a hot trend for a few years now. What have we learned through this whole experience here? And uh, you you had said that you got involved in this movement a long, long time ago, you know, four, four plus years ago, collaborating with Jamak and others. And to you, like the principles are not going away. The four key principles around data mesh, um, you know, data products, federated computational data governance, et cetera. Um, and um, they have been applied in many different places across data and AI. By the way, I think that's a theme of what we talked about today, the applicability of these practices to you know, data, analytics, and AI. Um, and it's just getting applied and reinforced you know, in various industries over and over. And you don't need to sell data mesh, right? I think there was a lot of preoccupation in the market about like, oh, how do you convince your, your CDO to you know, buy into data mesh or your CFO or whoever you got to get to buy into? Like, no, like you're a data leader. You you know, you're working on a data team. Like take the best practices, implement it, just do it. Um, and you will see the ROI because of the trustworthy data. Uh, and the fact that you're generating value from these different uh, uh, applications, data and AI applications to solve business value. Uh, people should be doing it and, and, and don't worry as much about the selling. The value will do the selling. Uh, we asked about uh, success stories and you mentioned, you know, banking and many other industries, but specifically you zoomed into, uh, you know, uh, the bio uh, sort of, uh, you know, informatics and, and sort of, um, you know, pharmaceutical sort of application of this. Um, you know, you mentioned Roche uh, and, you know, Omar Kajwala, who's, who also gave a talk uh, uh, on, on catalog or joined us as a guest on, on cataloging cocktails in the past, um, gave a talk around, you know, the biomarker data, clinical, clinical trial data creating these interoperable feedback loops is, is, is what you said there. And uh, going from uh, molecule to market, uh, really, you know, focusing on the value, data compliance, trustworthiness, accuracy. So, you know, that's a great example of how in a complex domain with rich data, with a variety of different experts could really come to value. And you mentioned that these industry data experts, one of the great things about data mesh is the industry data experts are being able to be leveraged as the domain representatives. And data mesh is accelerating the way that these experts can operate on the data and work with the data. Standardization, activating value from data. So really, really critical there. Finally, before I pass it to Juan, uh, we talked about um, you know, if you're disconnected from the business when you're implementing with data mesh or working data mesh, um, you're you're doing it wrong. It's going to be a failure. Uh, you know, that's why we talk about it as a socio-technical phenomenon. Uh, it ha there has to be continuous discovery. 
which is a, a, a ding, ding, ding phrase for me because I always think about product management, continuous discovery, uh, continuous delivery, right? Um, so the tie-in there is really important. It's easy to start with platform and technology because that's the thing that we gravitate towards as technologists. But we have to remember that you know if you're going to implement something like a data product manager, that's a tee up for Juan. Um, you know, you they really have to be focused on the value uh, and focused on um, uh, on uh, on the impact it's going to have. So Juan, over to you for your takeaways. So we talk about the data product management, data product managers, right? Product managers are obsessed with understanding the value and that user experience the value chains, the user journey mappings, and this is where change management is coming in. When you apply product management, people converge on what is the value and what are the priorities. By the way, there's like so many t-shirts that are coming out of this episode. Like In I, our I, notes, we, uh, bold we bold everything that's like, oh, that was a magic bold, phrase. Yeah, so. Yeah, so that's one of them. <laughs> so, I mean, you get a lot of t-shirts that are coming out Here's of this. Here's another one. It's not just data product management, it's data and AI product management. And then we had this riff on like, wait, it's just really just product management. But I think also it could be domain product management. But at, at the end of the day, it's just bringing this discipline of product management. That's the most important thing. Um, we talk about how we're seeing the evolution of jobs and AI coming into the mix here. So really AI is about helping yourself to do your work faster and better. And I really love this discussion we had about SMEs. They will be the natural prompt engineers because they're already asking those right questions. And that's why it's really important to treat prompting as like as a discipline. Everybody should be learning about this. There'll be templates. Like we should learn from a community. We, we get this in there. Um, and then we start wrapping up with knowledge graphs. And I think we talked about if we're connecting with data products, the data products need to be linked to the data product themselves are a node, uh, but then data products, when you're in, you're doing the whole process of creating them, right, you are, are capturing that knowledge and semantics around that stuff. And, 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 and then you're going to have these combinations of the foundational AI models that you want to be able to train them with your specific knowledge. And you want to be able to go use the data products and the knowledge graphs around that. And it's this, uh, it's a holistic kind of view re between all these things. We actually talked about this differentiation between there's like the technical metadata knowledge graph where your data product is a node there versus your domain knowledge graph. Uh, but they're all connected at the end of the day. Uh, talking about the disciplines and practice ontologists, right? This is this is a discipline of practice. And another great quote: "A generalist will never succeed without the partnership." I love that one. Um, and then we talk about, hey, data mesh is not for everybody. So knowledge graphs, like, is who is this for? Who should be paying attention? And your argument is like, hey, everybody should be paying attention to this, right? Marketing of consumer goods can benefit if you're if one invested in a trustworthy knowledge graph that will result in better marketed products. Uh, it, it does lean towards like large organizations. And as we were riffing there, like if you're only focused on your efficient known use case of today, that's it. Probably not your focus, but if you want to deal with your known use case of today and the unknown use case of tomorrow, that's where you need to fall in. How did we do? What did we miss? Great. I love how you guys do this playback. And it's a much better articulated summarization of what I tried to communicate. Well, so thank you. I, I know I said, this is just, we're just repeating what you said. So Reflecting you. Thank you so much for all the valuable knowledge that you share with everybody here. Uh, to wrap up, three final questions. Uh, what's your advice? Who should we invite next? And what resources do you follow? My advice, um, based on reflections over the last couple of years, is drive value and innovation with collaboration and eliminate ego. One of the big things I see with product management, Tim, we can maybe chat offline. I've seen a lot of egos get in the way of who owns what application, what team owns what, whose portfolio and whose resumes Never. making uh, um, I think it's very important with data mesh, a reflection of mine is be comfortable with evolving collective ownership of the products you build. One day those data assets might belong in research, but you have new customers. Now they also have a share, uh, invested share into that data. So it's very important to put aside ego um, and think about that collaboration. So that's my uh, hopefully I can summarize that one day. I might use ChatGPT to do that, but that would be my key. Very message. well said. Very well said. Yes. Could be a manifesto all, all on its own. That's awesome. Like that. So who should we invite next? Okay. So I have two uh, nominations, I guess. Gary Kretschmar, he is a colleague of mine. Uh, he actually built um, the self-service internal data platform to empower data product teams to deliver their data and AI solutions faster. Um, I think the community has a lot to learn from him in the way to execute with empathy, not just 
the platform team. Platform teams struggle a lot with a lot of pressure. He do, he's done a phenomenal job and also the change management uh, and empathy for uh, the customer. So I think he's a great uh, person um, and I'll just quote him a little. Uh, he put a great, fantastic definition on data mesh. He said, uh, this was to a C-suite person that, hey, think of data mesh as a data lake. It's a lake with a bunch of boats on it. Nobody knows each other. They're all in silos. With data mesh the and the tenancy model, it gives each boat a visible ID so we can all talk to each other, lowering the silos and bringing us all together. Um, that needs to go somewhere on some manifesto or somewhere. I, I would love to see him talk more about uh, uh, his perspective on everything. And the other person I've been following is Tony Seal from UBS and Knowledge Management. I'd love to hear. Love Sorry. Him. He's already been a guest. Oh, he's already been a guest. I'll go check out the podcast then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've been following this for a while. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah awesome uh, following all the stuff that uh, Tony does with Knowledge Trip and talking. And uh, we'll reach out to Gary. I appreciate you can give us an intro to him. And finally, what resources do you follow? Um, product management, um, uh, content from Shivishi, Akash Gupta, and Powell Hurin. I'm probably butchering his last name, um, but I found their content to be phenomenal. And I've shared it with um, anyone in my community who's aspiring to be a data product manager, AI product manager, um, or are already executing and, and are new to the discipline, but have a lot of domain knowledge. So I think they bring a lot of that um, best practices that anyone uh, in the business can apply that product mindset. Um, and then um, people uh, that I'm following, Bruno Aziza, he's at Alphabet, um, Saul Rashdi on AI strategy. She's been posting a few interesting things, and I think she's going to publish a book soon on mm -hmm. AI strategy. So I'm going to be looking forward to what she has to say. Um, and then uh, team topologies, again, super key with even more complexity coming with AI and product, Matthew Skelton and Manuel Pius. Their work is just super, super key. Um, and of course, um, I, I mean, I, I'm always in touch with Jamak. I know she's busy with her startup right now, but always looking out for newer t talks that she does and so on. Great suggestions. Wow, I, I, I love is... team topologies, by the way. I'm, I'm a bit of an org chart nerd, like org structure and things like that. It's a great book to, to talk about yeah. agile approaches. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a phenomenal episode. So much knowledge in here. Just a reminder, next week we have Santona Tooley from Upsolver. We'll be talking about data and productivity. Really excited to finally have her on the show. With that, Sammy, have a great rest of your day, rest of your week. And thank you so much for finally being on the show. Thank you Cheers. for having me. Cheers. Cheers.